Alright, welcome back to the Fuse Show. My name is Bud. I'm the Chief of Staff at Xfusion.io and the co-host of the Fuse Show. I'm excited to be joined today by my guest, Brandon Hilkert. Brandon is the CTO and co-founder of Bark. He is a father, a husband, and self-taught programmer that's helped start and lead software engineering organizations. Thank you so much for being on the show, Brandon. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, not a problem, buddy. So I see you have a lot of uh, guitars in the background, but that's not where it all started, is it? It started with some drums back in the day, didn't it? It did start with drums, yeah. Uh, let's see, seventh grade to be specific. Um, yeah, and then played music uh, most of my life, and guitar became the, the more convenient choice. I'll, I'll admit that uh, dragging drums around eventually got to me, and so... Here we are with a bunch more guitars. I still have, to be fair, I still have drums in the in the garage in cases. So it's not totally dead. Yeah, uh, I've got I've got five children, three daughters, two sons. My oldest son is a music teacher. And, oh, cool. Uh, he he prefers the he prefers the guitars, uh, the bass guitar to be exact. But my younger son is all about the drums. So I I I kind of get hit by both ends. Oh, there you go. Well, maybe you can start a family band then. You got a lot of things covered. Yeah, we do. <laughs> All right, buddy. Let's talk about Bark. Uh, kind of give us a rundown of Bark and tell us what it is, and, and let's get into the show here. Yeah, Bark, um, we, we founded the company uh, six years ago, um, and we started uh, – the goal of Bark is to try to keep your kids – help keep your kids safe online. Um, as a generation that's grown up with kids that – know nothing else other than social media existing devices, you know, that type of thing. The dependency on those types of platforms um, is all over the place. You know, you go to school, you're issued an email, you go to college, you have an account, you know, online COVID, you know, at home, it's even, even more so. And so, you know, the goal of the company was to figure out a way, um, try to make it a healthy way to try to keep your kids safe online. Um, at the time, six years ago, there, there were some options, but um, from our perspective, they weren't terribly healthy options. And so uh, the general gist of it was the other tools um, at that time would kind of go through your social media feed, whatever uh, account you were looking to protect, and take every post you interacted with and then send it to the parent. So, you know, Facebook, you know, take your whole feed, all your messages, whatever, send it to the parent, and they would review it nightly or whatever frequency they wanted. And with the kids that you have, you probably know that most kids don't send one or two message uh, messages and call it a day. And they often send um, thousands. We see we see kids sending thousands of texts a day. And so it's, it's hard to keep up with that kind of volume. And so we thought there was an opportunity to not force the parent to dig through every message. Um, and at the same time, not have to send the parent every message because some of them are not issues. And so the idea was around saving the parents some time, um, being a solution to help the parent, you know, dig through things that they might not understand and um, present them only with issues when there are issues, you know, and, and that's sort of uh, a personal preference, uh, especially where it relates to the age of the kid or, you know, the, the types of concerns a parent might have. But we let parents set, set some of those sensitivities so they might not care about the same things for their 15 year old as they do for their 10 year old. Um, and so, you know, with that in mind, we, you connect all different kinds of accounts. It could be a phone, it could be a Facebook account, it could be an email account, Gmail, YouTube, what have you. Um, and we monitor the account going forward for inappropriate content. And if, if, and when we find something based on the preferences, uh, the parent has given us, we'll alert the parent with the content of that issue. But, to be clear, it doesn't give the parents complete access to the kids' profiles. They can continue to have the conversations with their friends that are fairly private at times, um, and only when it kind of goes into those areas that are that are more inappropriate would the parent be alerted. All right, so you're allowing you're allowing oversight while still while still giving autonomy to the kids. We're trying, you know what I mean. I, I'll fully admit that this is not like a a perfect science, you know, I, I believe it's a, I believe it's a better option than anything else that exists. Um, but I will also admit that there are messages that are fairly innocuous at times that get bundled in with other messages. Um, we, we liken it to, uh, um, 
you know, when, when your kid gets on a bike, you know, like it's not really a debate anymore, whether you give them a helmet, when they get their license, it's not really a debate anymore about, do they put on a seatbelt? And in fact, some of these are laws, right? Um, the same thing could be said when you get a device, you know, like, I guess some people choose to just let them do whatever. And that's, you know, as a parent, you have those decisions to make, mm -hmm. but the same risks are online as they are, you know, in, in real life, driving a car, you know, and operating uh, things like that. And, and, you know, we certainly see the effects of being exposed to content that's, that's inappropriate during younger years, have an effect on, on people as they're older. And so, you know, we feel like the, the controls that we offer, um, we, we really try our best to let the kid live their life and also put some controls in place to keep them safe. I mean, that's ultimately the goal is to keep them safe. And so um, at times it may not be perfect, but we believe it's, it's a better option than doing nothing. No, absolutely. I, I think that's, that's good. That's, it's important, you know, as, as kids grow, like the younger ones absolutely need much more oversight and a whole lot less autonomy than, than the older ones. And it's, it is a rite of passage, right? So as kids get older and like you said, you get, you give them bikes, they, they get a little, little more freedom and, and they should as, you know, same with their, their computers and their phones, you know, a little, the little older they get, a little more autonomy they should, they should have. And yeah. That's and I would a, say a lot of this isn't really a function of them as people, you know, it, it's, it's the platform's <laughs> motivations are very different than ours as parents or the kids motivations. You know, they, they just, they're looking to have fun. Right. And I mean, I'm sure you've gotten stuck in some rabbit holes on YouTube before. And, you know, I've walked oh, yeah. in on, in a room with kids looking at YouTube and yeah, their goal is to keep them on YouTube. Right. And recommend certain videos with, you know, uh, thumbnails that pop out or, you know, uh, create a reaction. Um, it's not to say like, what, what can we do best to give the kid a great experience and not expose them to, you know, they're there to keep eyeballs. And, and so their motivations are a little in conflict with, I think what parents would want. And so, you know, that, that sort of just gives an opportunity to create some, some boundaries and um, some tools in place to, to keep that under control. Right. Okay. I got you. So I, I was, I, I was looking at it a lot from a parent to kid perspective. Um, you're, you're coming at it as a safety perspective. So talk to me a little bit more on that safety perspective. Um, tell me about how this product keeps kids safe. I'm, I'm looking at your website here as we're talking and and you have some some pretty big numbers here you know 5.6 million children protected uh 267,000 severe self-harm situations detected 2.1 million severe bullying situations detected tell tell me about that tell me how you're protecting these kids from self-harm and bullying situations tell tell me how that works yeah, I'll say that, you know, our, our platform is very much a, a lesson learned style situation um, in that there are tools out there that come at, come at the same problem trying to prevent things from happening. So a kid goes to send a message that might be like aggressive and the tool might say, I'm not going to send this message because it looks aggressive or you should think twice about sending this. This might not, you know, this is a little over the top. We, you know, the, the messages happen and then we take a look at them. And so there's opportunities for lessons learned there, you know, with the parent and certainly the parent, you know, might receive a notification. They don't have to do anything to it. You know, we, we offer some recommendations on how to approach the topic because sometimes these are very uncomfortable situations and often sure. um, things that the parent might not even know was going on. Right. So like, my kid's good, you know, they're happy, whatever. And then all of a sudden you see a note about them thinking about ending their life. And then what do you make of that? You know, it's like, you, you don't even have a warm up period to say like, Oh, I know they might not have been in a good mindset, but it went from, you know, zero to a hundred.
real fast. Um, and so we've built um, some artificial intelligence that does natural language, NLP, natural language processing. And so we look at text and we classify it in certain categories. And those categories are like bullying, depression, self-harm, um, hate speech, profanity is an easy one. Um, those types of categories that we can then ask the parent, well, what are you most concerned about? You know, self-harm, depression, and then on a severity scale of zero to four, zero being it's not an issue for that type of thing, four being it's, it's the worst, it's the most severe. A four, for example, of self-harm would be, we believe there's going to be eminent harm to the child within the next 15 minutes. We send out a couple dozen of these a day, if you can imagine. So these are kids that are well, have a plan uh, that want to end their life. Um, and so those notifications, you know, are, are critical. And, and certainly they have a different kind of a notification alerting path based on the severity of them. Um, our data science layer takes a look at all this content. So it would involve video, audio. You know, so if you send a video, we'll, we'll take the audio off the video take do speech to text and then analyze the text we'll chop it up in keyframes send it through ocr look to, if there's messaging on it look at the transitions analyze the pictures to see if there's any inappropriate content so all this kind of like media text all kind of goes together in this package to then output is this inappropriate and if it is what is it inappropriate for is it depression is it self-harm and then what's what's the severity of it and so that way we can sort of like tailor notifications based on the severity of the situation. You know, if, if there's a self-harm severity four, that's obviously more important than, you know, maybe like a, somebody said WTF in a message, right? Which would fall under profanity, uh, a low severity profanity. And certainly you can decide to, you don't want to receive those low severity ones, as I mentioned with the settings. Um, but those more severe ones, obviously there, there's a path there that, you know, we, we give some recommended actions on how to, how to approach the topic with the child. We give them some resources with both partnerships and just like outreach, you know, um, hotlines that, that might be able to help. Um, and so from there it's, you know, we, we leave it to the parent to decide kind of what, what's in best next steps. Um, but in many cases it's, you know, um, approach the child and, and figure out, you know, what's going on and how they can be helped. Um, there are times obviously where we get other resources involved if it's, if it's severe. Um, for example, we've had, plenty of school shooting threats, which um, we have a schools product as well. I, I will mention that we do the same thing for schools and that's called Bark for Schools. Um, but it's basically analyzed this, the, the same content that are on school issued accounts than uh, personal accounts. And so instead of alerting the parent in that case, we would alert the school official or the principal or whomever set up to receive the alerts uh, for that particular student. Um, and so it's just sort of a routing question at that point, but yeah. Cool. So I'm going to go back just a, just a couple seconds in that, that little paragraph that you were talking, you said, you know, you, you look through, you know, pictures and texts and, and all that. So what, what happens if there's inappropriate pictures? And, you know, I, I again, on your website, I see all these different uh, monitors that, that you monitor uh, you have snapchat you have skype you i mean even slack and all that but snapchat's the one that sticks out to me uh, i don't like snapchat as a as a dad yeah. um for obvious reasons um you know I, there's a bunch of pictures that go go around on snapchat that are very inappropriate um how do you monitor those and and how how do you get those to the parents you know, I'm obviously I'm I'm talking about nude pictures, and and yeah. how do you navigate that? You know, how do you send those to the parents, and who's looking at those on your end, and what happens to those pictures? Like, where do they get stored? Uh, yep. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of a lot of ifs there. There's a lot of iffiness to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So there's you know there's the general category of of sexual content, which would include porn and you know, whatever else. And then there's sort of like a, a subset of that, which is, um, involves a child, which is a very different category, you know, and sometimes it's generated by the child and other times it's circulated, um, of it being somebody else. Um, and so we have a partnership with Nick Mick, um, which is sort of the, 
the body in, in the in the U.S. around dealing with um, CSAM as it is, but it includes child nudity and that and that type of thing. And so, by federal law, we're we're not allowed to circulate any of that content for obvious reasons. And that includes us telling the parent that it's there. Uh, we're not even allowed sure. to share it with the parent, even if it's the on the parent's account. And so, you know, by law, we have to erase it from our servers. Um, we have to report it to Nick Mick uh, with you know full kind of trail of where it came from, who was involved, uh, the picture itself. Um, they operate sort of as a central body with all these platforms. So Facebook, Instagram, you know, all, all these platforms have have a similar partnership where they can then try to. And, and in fact, you saw it just a couple of weeks ago, right, with some announcements from Apple doing it on the. Um, on the iCloud side, right, with pictures, they're going to store a hash locally of the picture um, and see if it matches anything in their database that would identify it as CSAM um, and then take appropriate steps if it does match something. And this is largely around, you know, trying to eliminate, cut down at least, uh, at best, eliminate, you know, child porn circulation. Unfortunately, it's a, it's a, a huge issue. And yeah. even in our work, you know, we see adults preying on kids in many of these platforms, yeah. you know, operating as they say a 15 year old boy and then they're a 40 year old man from overseas or something. We've seen it happen on schools too. Um, school accounts, you know, that a kid has a bunch of images stored on their Google drive or, or whatever. Um, and an outside party get involved with a handful of girls at the, at the school. Um, anyway, so th there's a sequence and there's obviously partnerships that we have that kind of do the right thing down the line here. But the critical decision is sort of like, is it obvious that children are involved? And that takes a very different fork in the road when it is. If it's if it's porn and it's clearly, you know, adult content, um, we would alert the parent and then sort of like uh, haze it out. You know, they can see it, but it, but it's um, they can click into it or whatever. But we'll send the, the parent that and just tell them where it kind of was found. Was it found on the phone or did they have it in their email attachments or, or whatever? Um, but but it definitely changes if it's the child content. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah, because that's, that's a very tender subject for, I'm sure, a lot of parents. Yeah, and it's, um, it's sadly, it's um, more popular, you know, than you'd think. Like, it just, um, you know, it, you know, it's a combination of certainly bad actors, but then kids being fairly innocent and thinking, you know, nothing no big deal. Right. And then all of a sudden oh, it is right. a big deal. And it's like, you can't, can't sort of go back on that one. Um, well, that was, that was exactly what happened with, with my daughter, you know, well, he, he said he loved me and he just wanted a topless picture. And then it, it was all around school. Sure. And that was a very hard lesson for her. And yeah. Yeah. And there's and no going yeah, back from that one. And um, there is none, there is none. And I mean, there, those pictures are still around and, and that was a very, very tough lesson. Yeah. And I mean, fortunately for her little sisters, that's a lesson that they don't have to learn because she learned it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like a lot of, I think a lot of this is, um, around creating good habits. I mean, we, we definitely, um, uh, try to, make sure that there's a, there's a conversation between a parent and the child and that it's healthy and to try to approach some of these topics before they happen, you know, cause I think that's, that's part of it is just like, you know, if the parent wants to just kind of slip this in the side and have the kid not, it's almost impossible not to find out that this is happening, you know, cause imagine oh, yeah. you try to do it like that and the parent gets an alert and then the parent says, Hey, I saw X happened. And then you lot, how that, you know, right. And then cats out of the bag on that one. Um, yeah. And so we really try to create, you know, opportunities for communication and open communication around these topics because it's not enjoyable, but it's definitely something that they need to know and, and be aware of. And hopefully, you know, those conversations prevent things like you're talking about, you know? Yeah. Well, and we, I mean, we had those conversations with, with her and my son, I mean, before they ever happened. And I mean, unfortunately, Unfortunately, and still happens. Still yeah. 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 So it's just, I mean, and we, you know, I'm sure you did too, but I did dumb things when I was a kid too. So absolutely. Yeah. They just, I just, did, all I just didn't internet, have, right? yeah. 
I didn't have yeah. all the technology. So thank God I didn't have all the technology. Uh, right. Right. I think a what? lot of us are thankful that it, it, it wasn't like that. Oh, yeah. Everything wasn't recorded. Oh, man. Yeah. I didn't have all that until I was in, in my 30s. So, I mean, that was, <laughs> I'm, I'm extremely happy. Yeah. What, what caused the passion for this? Why are you so passionate about this? What was it something with you growing up or was it you having kids of your own or did it just come yeah, about? It, yeah, it was, um, I would say there was a handful of sort of events that, that led me here that were just good timing and, um, and sort of interests sort of meet all together. I, I was, um, I worked at a handful of, of startups and then um, not so startups and, uh, you know, just found myself a little bored with some of the things I was making. I felt pretty good about what I could make and, and the things, kind of the impact I could have. But then I recognized that like I was doing it for products and companies that I didn't really have a lot of passion for. And um, I feel, you know, certainly I'm lucky to be in the industry that I'm in. You know, I, I took, made some kind of career choices uh, 15, 20 years ago that really set me up for what I'm able to do now. And I recognize that not everyone has that luxury now, you know, like software, the software industry as a whole, you know, it's sort of everywhere, right? And, and you have a lot of choice in the jobs and opportunities. And so I'm lucky in that sense. And because of that, it, it gave me the opportunity to say like, what do I really want to do? Like, what do I want to make? I can, you know, there's, there's these jobs and you can more or less choose what you, you know, the type of thing you want to make. And so, I found myself just making things and working at companies that at the end of the day, I didn't, I didn't really care about, you know, it didn't matter to me if it worked, didn't matter to me if it did well outside of my own sort of financial benefits. Um, and then sort of at the same time, my, my wife and I had our first child, had a daughter and, you know, at, at the same time, it's sort of like, I don't know about you, but it, it highlighted those questions, you know, like, what is my reason for being here? You know, and all these like, Sure. really deep thoughts sure. about like the value of being here. And certainly you could argue that it's just to, you know, kind of raise a, a healthy child and a happy child. Um, but in there, there's a lot of wiggle room, right? Like I, I, I also want to choose my own happiness to do something that, that I feel good about. And so there was, there was questions about like, you know, at the end of the day, like it sounds cheesy, but like if I were to die tomorrow, you know what I feel like really, um, really like I, I put my mark on something and up to that time I, I didn't really I didn't feel very strongly about anything um, and so it was a, a pivoting moment I think that said like well you know you're not getting younger so you might as well go tackle some things that at least you could look back on and say you know I, I made a mark in that I, I maybe did some good in the world um, and so this also at the same time, sort of a conversation appeared on my lap and um, I was lucky and my co-founder Brian had reached out as a cold email and just said, let's talk. We were in similar circulating sort of communities, but didn't know each other. Um, and he told me about some of the things he was thinking about. And this, this was one of them. And um, so good timing, lucky, you know, and, and it just, it worked from there. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm sure as a, as a father, you can, you can relate, you know, it's hard to imagine a family losing a kid and I get to, I get to basically spend all of my work time trying to make that not happen for families. And we've been lucky enough to get feedback from families, fortunately not tons, but you know, like we do get, we, we send out some severe alerts and, and, and with those comes sort of a follow-up to say, Hey, we just wanted to check in. We know that was some, some heavy stuff. You know, is there anything we can do to help? Cause we have resources too. And, and those are the, the replies that we've gotten that have said, and there's been dozens that, that have said, you know, we believe bark saved our kid's life. We actually had no idea this was happening and they're in the hospital. They're getting help, you know, whatever it may be, but we believe they wouldn't have been here had it had bark not been in play. And so, to be able to walk away from that and, you know, think about where, where do I leave my stamp and think that maybe I, I had some part in, you know, keeping fill in the blank number of kids on this earth 
that might not have been otherwise, you know, is, um, it's hard to imagine anything better than that, you know, as, as a, as a dad. Yeah. We've, I live in Northeastern Colorado, a bunch of small towns and especially since the beginning of this pandemic, we've lost, uh, I believe it's nine, uh, nine yeah. children to suicide. Uh, and it's, it's just been hard. Like the last one, my, my middle daughter came home. She goes, dad, we have another one. I was like, that's not something that a 15 year old should ever come home and say, and be that callous to. No. Yeah. And you, yeah. One. Just everything they have to think, you know, thinking about that idea. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I don't, I can't remember that ever happening in my school no. uh, experience, you I, know, even somebody in neighboring schools, I don't remember that happening. Yeah. And it's, it just seems like it's becoming more and more and more prevalent. So man, kudos to you and, and your co-founder, like this is, this is really, really good. And I, I think the way that you guys are handling it is, is just fantastic. So thank you. No, thank you. Like I, I really like this. And I think after we get off this, this call, I'm going to have a, a long talk with my wife and we'll, we'll probably end up grabbing this, but yeah. Um, so that being said, you know, like you, you said how you spend your work day, you get to, you get to try and make this not happen, but that's heavy. That's a really heavy responsibility that you have for your work day. It is. So yeah. how do you decompress? Like hmm. you, you have to deal with a lot and, and your employees, like, yeah, you guys see a lot of stuff, um, you know, kind, kind of like a police detective that works, you know, child cases. You guys yeah. see a lot of stuff. So how, how are you able to decompress at the end of the day? Um, hmm. Well, what you see behind me is part of it. You know, I think yeah, um, sure. I try to have some hobbies to, to keep me away. It's tougher too, you know, I would say for sure, working at home. Um, those boundaries aren't as clear. Um, you know, I, I try to have some things to get my mind off it. Certainly family helps. Um, but having, having the role I do, I, I recognize that, you know, there are a lot of things that sort of end with me and that that is part of what I signed up for. And so, you know, there, we have, we've done it right. I think that, you know, we have an annotation team that's, um, about 50 people in this country. I say it only because in many situations, many people outsource this type of thing, but um, we have humans looking at things and, and making sure the computer got it right, confirming they got it right, escalating when there are times that, you know, there's sensitive content that we need to confirm. Um, and then they're certainly well-trained in escalating content, reaching out to authorities if need be and, and, and all that stuff. And so, you know, I would say they get a worse for sure. You know, they see this type of thing every day. Um, and it's definitely not an easy thing to deal with, you know, and, and so we've gone to great lengths to try to provide them resources and, um, emotional support and, uh, clinics and just anything we can think of really to keep some limits around what they do and, and not have it get overwhelming and sort of bleed in and affect their real life. And, you know, I, again, one of the things, I don't think we're perfect at it, you know, and, and burnout is a, is a very real thing as it relates to, um, annotating this type of content, you know, and seeing it regularly. Um, there, there are tons of articles and uh, posts written about just burnout as it relates to, you know, moderation teams at, at Facebook and, and other social media platforms because they, they see the same type of stuff. You know, they have to flag it or it gets reported and they have to take a look at it. Yeah, I will say that as when we were smaller, there was less like dividing line between what people did, right? We didn't, we had annotators, but it was kind of like, oh, I helped annotation, right? So you sort of wore a lot of hats. And um, we did a handful of, of partnerships with some larger companies who you'd recognize, um, trying to figure out, you know, how, how do they get their annotation and moderation um, approaches under control and, and do it in a way that was healthy, which caused us to have to see a lot of stuff. And I will say, there's no doubt, like I, I I've seen images that I will never unsee again. And sure. it's super weird. Um, but I, I, 
you know, I, I can't go back. So it is what it is, yep. you know? So I would say just through a, a variety of resources we provide to the company and, and trying to give people space and time when they need it. Um, you know, we try our best, but of course, everybody sort of handles these types of things differently. And, and certainly it's just not for a certain type of person, you know? So I think that's, that's reasonable, you know, and it's like, this is heavy stuff. And um, we've had people leave just because it's just a little too much and that's okay. You know, like it, there, there's plenty of jobs out there and this doesn't have to be for everyone, but I think what people can all agree on is, is that the value it provides, you know, so while it may not oh, be yeah, enjoyable absolutely. at times, we can all rally around the fact that like detecting this or sharing it or, or, or making sure the right people were involved, you know, got not fixed it, but at least gave them some resources to like, to make some headway on the issue with the parent or um, whomever maybe that, that would help. And so I think there is, you know, a lot of companies I think have to convince employees to rally, right. And like what the mission behind the company is and, you know, really get them excited about what they're doing. And I, I guess in a positive light, you know, we, we've never had to really do that, you know, cause people, people join and they're really excited about what we do and it's pretty self-explanatory. Um, not yeah. always enjoyable, but if you can sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel, sometimes it, it sort of makes it worth it, you know? Yeah. So did, were you able to keep, well, I, let me, let me see if I can rephrase this or phrase it properly. Um, you've been around since 2015. So before the pandemic, were you all, all in the same spot or were you, did you always have people all around the U S um, kind of remote or were you able to keep an eye on your, on your, uh, employees better? you know, before this pandemic, are you, are you back in the office now? Yeah, we, we started as a remote company when it was, you know, just, it was just myself and um, my co-founder, Brian, um, we grew, you know, and, and everybody was remote. Um, when we started to grow a little bit more and we took on support, like more support staff, um, there was a, uh, there was an interest in having some teams like that be together. And a handful of our team members were from the Atlanta area and we just chose that as sort of a home base. Um, we have space, we have office space there. Since the pandemic, obviously, um, not many people are there. Um, I don't, I would imagine less than 10 are there daily um, since the pandemic. And, you know, they're certainly allowed to go um, if they if they prefer. Um, the building itself is, is one that's sort of like a more of a co-working space. We've had space in, in, in the building for a while and, um, had more before, but we've just found that, you know, with, with the current times and certainly the convenience, um, being sort of pro remote has a lot of, a lot of perks. And so we've, we've more or less embraced that permanently. And so while we do have some space, it's nice to be able to have a place to go. You know, if you do want to get together with a certain team or everybody meet up, you know, to, to meet at this space in Atlanta, um, we don't force people to come in if they, if they don't want. And certainly we have a lot of employees that are not in the Atlanta sort of metro area. And so, you know, they've sure. been remote the whole time. Sure. So do you have a way to monitor them? Uh, not, not like on a day-to-day -day basis, but just monitor them for just mental health wise, um, just to keep an eye on them. Uh, or, or is it just kind of word of mouth? Hey, I'm having a rough day. I, I just kind of need a break from all this. Or how do you, yeah. how do you monitor them? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of this is, is about the data annotation team itself, you know, and kind of some of the structure we put in there and, you know, they each have sort of like mentor leads that they report to and, um, you know, obviously talk very regularly. And then it's very much a group kind of a group thing. You know, you don't have, we, all, you know, all the annotation that takes place and all the content that they would experience would be in our own internal tools. So we can certainly monitor those and monitor the limitations they make. And when there's severe content, you know, that is definitely noted and um, handled differently. Um, but they definitely operate as a group. We do sort of a, um, you know, more of a consensus around uh, annotations. So for example, you know, if somebody saw something specific, um, they would mark it. So we'd have three people mark it if there's disagreement to try to come to some consensus about like what the severity was and what type of content it was so that when it goes back into the data science uh, algorithms, you know, it can learn from that. 
you know, the following day or whatever. And so you have, you, so what you have is a group of people all kind of doing similar things, right? And so when something comes up, we have an escalation process when it's really severe content, right? And so that takes what we call leads on our team that would then communicate with each other and, and deal with that content. And oftentimes it's, you know, hey, um, we'll take this out of the rotation so nobody else experiences it. Some kind of circuit breaker tools like that to, to help remove um, a lot of exposure to it. Certainly somebody had to deal with it, but oftentimes, um, yeah, we can we can reduce the number of people that do have to experience it um, through our own kind of tools that we have where they do their work. So yeah, it's a little bit of personal handholding. It's it's outside resources that we have. You know, we don't want to be the only ones where um, you know employee only has us to talk to, right? Because like everybody's in it, you know. And so sometimes it's hard to share that type of stuff and feel like. Um, somebody's going to treat you as though this is a special situation, right? Like it is, this is very unique, right? But if you talk to people, yeah. that, you know, 40 other people that are doing the same thing, they're going to, you know, think, yeah, I'm me too, you know, like <laughs> get on board. Um, and so that's why some of the external resources have, have helped, you know, where we provide for them to, um, whether it's kind of therapy or just talking to somebody else about what they saw and like working through the ideas and, um, you know, sometimes really negative content, um, they just, they have a resource, you know, and, and it's not something that they have to go looking up themselves. It's here, this is, this is for you. Um, we try to build in some healthy time limits, you know, we, we restrict the number of hours an annotator can do their work um, per day. That's nice. And That's certainly, really like, you know, we, we wouldn't make anyone do annotation for a full work day, like that, whether you're full-time or not, it's just not, you can't do that kind of thing for eight hours in a day. So um, there's limits like that. There's weekly limits. Um, so I don't know. There's a lot of things, you know, over time that we've learned. Um, you know, and the team has, has done a great job of exploring um, topics and trying to minimize the severity of some of the stuff. And it seems silly, but there, there are tactics you can use that are they're actually uh, well proven that um, things like uh, inappropriate kind of like nudity content, if you make it black and white, they're shown to be... Um, less of a, a, an effect of kind of like mindset after you see the content long-term. And so we, we grayscale out those pictures. You can certainly get into the, you know, the, the colored version if you need to, but um, so those like little tweaks, you know, that, that don't seem like much on the outside, I think um, total a bigger move to, you know, really do it in, in as positive ways you can. You know, I don't want to spin this to say like, it's, sure. it's great and hunky dory, but um, you know, there's only so far you can take this type of content. Well, sure. Well, and, and I guess the reason I'm, I'm digging on this a little bit is, is because Jim, one of our co-founders, he used to be a, a detective for child cases. Okay. And so he's, I, I've talked to him. We've been friends for a long time and I, I've talked to him about a, a lot of this stuff. So this is kind of, you know, right up, right up the alley of what he's, he's dealt with. And we've had some long conversations about a lot of this. So, yeah. 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 It's it just, it's the same type of thing. I mean, really, they just, it's really, it's really sad. Some of the stuff that, that goes on out there yeah. that a lot of people just don't even know about. No, that's right. So, that's right. So yeah, we, we, we operate as an educational resource too, I will say, you know, like we don't want to fear monger parents into feeling like, you know, they have to do something, but, you know, certainly I think a lot of them aren't aware and many of them are non-technical too. You know, it's like, you don't, they don't know the latest, you know, chat platform or latest app that the kids are using, you know? And so how would you know, right? Kid, kid installs it one day, they get into some content and all of a sudden, you know, what, what happened? So, you know, let us, let us help you from the learnings that we've had from the millions of kids that we help. Um, let us be, you know, a tool and toolbox. It doesn't have to be fix everything, but, you know, we can certainly help. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm looking at all these little thumbnails of everything that you monitor and I don't know everything. I don't, I don't know what every one of these pictures is of everything that you monitor. I'm sure that's not an extensive list. No. Um, but as an edu educational tool, kind of dive into that. So if, if you send a, if you send something to the parents and say, Hey, we found this, um, and here's here's a help 
on how you might be able to deal with this. What, what does that look like to a parent that might be seeing that for the first time? How do you, how, what does that tool look like for them? Yeah, it's based on the type of content, right? So the recommendations, we call them recommendations, but um, it'd be, you know, resources, right? And so it would be based on, is it, is it bullying? Is it self-harm? Is it depression? Is it, you know, fill in the blank? And those are all different. And they, they range from, you know, here are some ideas, um, how to start the conversation with your child, right? Because I, I think the worst thing to go into this is, is just be completely like accusatory, right? Like, sure, I saw this, you shouldn't do that, you, you know, really around like, I mean, maybe the kid doesn't know, what, you know, maybe they know they shouldn't have done it, maybe they don't know. Um, and so we try to provide resources to not only kind of like set the stage, but off, also offer support. And so the support might be therapy. It could be um, a partnership we have with the therapy service that the child can do on their own without the parent. It could be um, a hotline that is provided, you know, in this country, you know, that, that whether it be around self-harm um, or other type of content, it could be, um, you know, we find that um, resources like articles of, of historic, cases or experiences for other people or documentaries or movies about certain types of situations help as well. Um, it's something that um, turns it into real life uh, as opposed to something, you know, fictitious kind of, yeah, I've heard about this thing happens, but it, it, it doesn't happen to me. And, you know, I've never heard it happening, so I shouldn't take it seriously. And so these are cases, you know, in the past where, whether it be, um, grooming, you know, child abduction, like these types of things, you know, whether it be um, kid um, gets connected with some people and uh, gets a hold of some kind of drugs that, you know, ultimately could lose their life. Um, we've, we've partnered with um, uh, a woman named Dr. Berman, who's been on a handful of shows recently, who lost her son on, on Snapchat. He, not on Snapchat, he, he ended up buying some drugs on Snapchat from a person he met there um, and they were laced with something that, you know, he shouldn't have had. And, um, and now he's not here anymore, you know, and, and he was, I think 10 or 11 at the time when this happened. Oh, man. And, you know, so those types of things, you know, we, we try to try to illustrate that these types of things happen, you know, and unfortunately, and, and if the kid's aware, then hopefully, you know, with that, usually when you launch into these conversations, like it could, it could, it go a handful of ways, but in a perfect sure. world, it's like a, it, you're a team, right? And, and, and that's what we try to set the stage with schools too, is that involving the parent, you know, I think it was a, a very, um, it, it was not a very popular idea for schools to involve parents long, you know, I would say five to 10 years ago. They thought that parents were sort of a burden and like, they don't want them calling up the school saying like, you need to deal with this, you know, and, and whatever. But I think they realize now, at least as the trend we're seeing is that it takes a village to, to deal with all the things that a kid might experience, you know, and, and certainly online, um, but in real life too. And, and so we offer something called parent portal to the schools where they can have their parents engaged. It's just like, you know, the services where you can, be on a listserv with your teacher or, um, you know, monitoring kind of notifications, that type of thing, where the parents will get notified for alerts that happen on the school issued accounts as well. And then think of it like a team working together to try to, you know, teach the kid a lesson or help them understand why something was uh, inappropriate or not. Um, and so a lot of this is like about teamwork and just getting on the same page, not so much a parent, you know, forcing this on their child and the child being upset about it. We've seen that too, you know, that it's, it's tough to introduce something like this to a kid that's 17 years old and on their way out the door. Um, you know, it's, but, you know, we, we try our best to, um, to try to provide the parents some resources to talk about that in a way that's easier. I mean, certainly it's easier if you introduce Bark at a time when, when the child gets their device. And so it's like, hey, look, you know, we'd love to have you have a phone for whatever reason. Um, there are some limits, you know, like with the seatbelts and the helmet. Um, and this comes along for the ride. And then it's a little less, you know, there's a little less um, speed bumps in the path when, when you do it early. And that's sort of like just what it is. Um, but, you know, it, it, I think it, depending on the family dynamic, there's, there's a lot of personal things that, that go on in that, in a conversation like that. Um, it's really hard to, 
to navigate it sometimes. So we do our best to try to provide the resources. You know, admittedly, it, it it's all over the place. Um, sure. But sure, but I mean, it, it's seems like it's it's coming more full function. Like you're you're trying to you're trying to help. You're trying to help the parents. You're trying to make it easier on and for the kids. You're you're trying to have the resources available to make things smoother. You're, I mean, you're trying to make it as easy as possible and, and your heart behind everything is, is good. So I applaud you, man. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, thank that. you. Um, I was listening to a podcast while I was getting, getting ready for this one. I was listening to another podcast you were on and, and he asked you, you know, if you could, if you could go be anywhere in the world, where would you go? And you said, right where I'm at, uh, you know, as a summary, that's basically, basically what it was. If you could travel to anywhere in the world, you said, uh, I'd stay right where I, where I am. I'm wondering if that's, if that would have been the same answer while you were doing your other ventures, um, you know, no. while you were, you were kind of, no, not at all. It's yeah. no, yeah. Now, I mean, I, now I, that you're, you, you know, you, you try to shape your life in a way that, um, you get the most satisfaction from it, you know, and I would say, I, I'm, you know, and I, I would say this is very much a personal thing. I mean, I, I just know, and I've learned over the years that I find a lot of value in the work that I do. Um, there's some people that can just like, you know, call it in and do their job and clock out and has like no bearing on their life whatsoever. Like they, you know, they get their paycheck and they live their life outside of work. And I, I've found that my, and I, I wouldn't say this is like a good thing at all, but like I've, I've found that my happiness is very much tied to my ability to kind of um, offer value um, and execute on, on whatever it may be that I'm focused on. And so it took me a while to one, get in a place where I feel really good about my contributions, you know, and the things that I was building as we've already talked about, mm -hmm. but then two, to be sort of like, uh, you know, have the good fortune to be in a place that's beautiful and I'm, I'm a beach person. So for me, um, you know, I would say when prior to this, we were living at a place that didn't really have a beach and it was cold in the winter. And, um, those are not, not the things that I love. And so, um, <laughs> three years ago, my family and I, um, decided to hit the road and, and move permanently. And so we moved to a place where we felt like everything matched our interests. And, um, it was one of the first times I felt like I really designed my life as I wanted it in the moment, not like waited till retirement or, you know, waited for that twice a year vacation or whatever it is, right? Like waiting for this next thing, you know, the grind until you got to really experience the things that you wanted. Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, this is another one of those things that I just feel like really fortunate to have chosen the path that I did and, you know, been motivated to work towards the things that I've done to give me that freedom to make that choice, you know, because I, I recognize that not everyone can just up and move and move to a place, you know, that, is their kind of perfect world. Um, so yeah, I guess I, I'm, I'm lucky in, in that respect, but yeah, still, still same answer. It's, um, it's great. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm super proud of you. I'm proud of, uh, I'm proud of you for finding your path and, and finally finding the thing that, that gives you that peace and, and, uh, I guess the I, the achievement that that you're looking for, and finding the place where you want to be uh, down there in in California, and, and finding the beach that you wanted to be, and and having the family that you want, and uh, man, it, it's awesome, and and doing the thing that gives you that gives you life, which is is helping, really, you know, helping kids. And, you know, I mean, kids are getting their devices at younger and younger and younger ages. And this is just more and more and more important 
as time goes on. It is. So, yeah. Um, last last couple questions here. What what advice would you give founders or soon to be founders um, that are watching this? I think it's about that passion piece. You know, like I remember early on when I was involved in a handful of startups, and um, it was really it was really about me sort of testing my boundaries, I think, and feeling like, could I be the person, the sole technical person really, and like handle the burden of, of building all the things we wanted to build. Um, I built a lot of stuff that again, didn't really matter. Like at the end of the day, it was really like, it was a technical challenge, which I found fun. You know, I, I went to school for mechanical engineering. So for me, it was about building things. And this happened to be building things online and it really checked that box for me, but it didn't keep the interest over time. And, you know, starting companies is a grind. I mean, it's like yeah. a big grind. And, you know, it, there's been plenty of moments where I'm like, I, I do not want to do this. And, uh, you know, I, I step back and think about the mission or, or what the, the testimonials we receive and, and you say, okay, this is not ideal right now but let me just push through and get to the other side and, and keep an eye on the, on. And so, you know, I think that that's a very natural progression in a company's life to, to have moments where you're just like, this is not fun. I'm not into it. Mm -hmm. um, and if there's no passion for the actual like problem you're solving, I think it's, it's really tough to walk out of that and feel like it's worth continuing. And so um, since it's involved so much time, I would say just stick on a path that, you know, you really feel like you should solve, like should be better in this world. And it, and it hopefully will keep, keep the attention and the focus to, to grind through the really low parts. Yeah. No, good stuff. And the last thing before we finish this thing out, Brandon, is uh, just let everybody know how they need to get a hold of you or how they can get a hold of you. Yeah, so I can be reached. I have a website out there, brandonhilker.com. It has all the information there and has social media platforms and other places. Most of the time it's Brandon Hilkert, uh, username. And then um, Bark, you can find us at bark.us is the website. Well, kind of all the information you need there. Um, certainly if you have any questions about the company, Bark, what we do, or just anything in particular uh, personally, you know, feel free to reach out on social media or, or email on my website and I'm happy to chat.